This is the Bible in one year, day 119. The battle today is around Jesus. I've been involved in helping or leading a small group on Alpha for over 25 years. During this time, I've noticed a shift in our culture. There's a change in the attitude towards Jesus, especially among young people. Many will say that they believe in God and even open to the idea of the Holy Spirit, but increasingly, Jesus has become the stumbling block. They say things like, I don't get the Jesus bit. As Father Raniero Cantalamessa has often said, the battle today is around Jesus. Is Jesus the universal saviour? This is the same battle as the first century. People today are happy to accept Jesus as one of many. It's the uniqueness of Jesus that causes offence. In the passages for today, we see that while we meet some exceptional people throughout the Bible, like Moses, Joshua, Elijah, and John the Baptist, there is no one like Jesus. Jesus is unique. He is the universal Savior. Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on God. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame, for God despised them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. There is no one like Jesus. Napoleon Bonaparte said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Jesus is different from every other human being who's ever lived. David says, there is no one who does good. As God looks down from heaven on the human race, he sees there is no one who does good, not even one. David looks in hope for a saviour. Is there anyone around to save Israel? His longing was, of course, fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was unique in his complete goodness. The Apostle Paul quotes from this psalm to show the need of every human being for a saviour. As Paul examines different people of the world, Jew and Gentile, moral and immoral, he comes to the conclusion there is no one whom God can classify as good and righteous. He writes, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. The wonder of the gospel is that we who are not righteous can be declared righteous through Jesus' perfect righteousness. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Lord, thank you that now it's possible for me to have the righteousness from God that comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. New Testament John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, 
and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Finally they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Jesus is the one and only. Jesus Christ is the one and only. He remains, to say the least of it, unique. If God is like Jesus, God is worth believing in, wrote the journalist Anthony Burgess. The whole of John's Gospel, from start to finish, is an answer to the question, Who is Jesus? John's answer is that God is like Jesus, and he is worth believing in. Jesus is totally unique. He is the one and only. He is the one-of-a-kind God expression. The purpose of John's Gospel is to lead you into an experience of communion with God 
through friendship with Jesus. You are a friend of Jesus. But who is Jesus? First, unique word of God. John's Gospel opens with a brilliant description of Jesus as the word. To us, this seems like a strange concept, but to John's original readers, it would have been much more familiar. The idea of the Word of God would have been important to Jewish readers. They would have remembered the words of God in creation, and all the prophets had to say about the Word of the Lord. For Greek readers, the idea of the Word would have been associated with the search for the meaning of life. Philosophers often use the Word as a shorthand way of referring to the unknowable meaning and purpose behind the universe. John's opening words would have been electrifying to both groups. He was saying, in effect, I'm going to tell you about what you've been searching for all this time. It's absolutely clear that the word that John is writing about is Jesus. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus was not only with God at the very beginning. The word was God. Jesus was and is God. Second, unique creator of all. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without him. It is through Jesus that the entire universe came into being. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Third, unique light of the world. In him was life, and that life was the light of all the people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. Light is a synonym for goodness and truth. Darkness is a synonym of evil and falsehood. Light and darkness are opposite, but not equal. A little candle can light a whole room full of darkness and will not be dimmed by it. Light is stronger than darkness. Darkness cannot prevail against light. Fourth, unique transformer of lives. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Belief in Jesus brings about the biggest and most significant transformation possible. As you receive Jesus into your life, so God receives you into his own family. Fifth, unique revelation of God. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Everything in the Old Testament was leading up to God's supreme revelation in Jesus. We got the basics from Moses, but then this exuberant giving and receiving, this endless knowing and understanding, all this came through Jesus the Messiah. This is why everything we read about in the Old Testament needs to be understood in the light of Jesus. Jesus is contrasted with John the Baptist. The emphasis is on what John the Baptist is not. He's not the light. He's not eternal. He's not the Christ. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. Although Jesus says of John, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist says of Jesus, he's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. John the Baptist's task, like us all, is to point away from ourselves and to the one and only Jesus, the unique Word of God, creator of all, light of the world, transformer of lives, and revealer of God. Jesus, 
I worship you, the unique Word of God. I pray today for fresh revelation of who you are and a deeper understanding of what it means to be a child of God. Old Testament, Joshua 15 and 16 The land allotted to the tribe of Judah, according to its clans, extended down to the territory of Edom, to the desert of Zin in the extreme south. Their southern boundary started from the bay at the southern end of the Dead Sea, crossed south of Scorpion Pass, continued on to Zin, and went over to the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it ran past Hezron, up to Ada, and curved round to Karka. It then passed along to Asmon and joined the Wadi of Egypt, ending at the Mediterranean Sea. This is their southern boundary. The eastern boundary is the Dead Sea, as far as the mouth of the Jordan. The northern boundary started from the Bay of the Sea at the mouth of the Jordan, went up to Beth Hogla, and continued north of Beth Araba to the stone of Bohan, son of Reuben. The boundary then went up to Debir from the valley of Akor, and turned north to Gilgal, which faces the pass of Adamim, south of the gorge. It continued along to the waters of Enshemesh, and came out at Enrogel. Then it ran up the valley of Ben-Hinnom, along the southern slope of the Jebusite city, that is, Jerusalem. From there it climbed to the top of the hill west of the Hinnom Valley, at the northern end of the valley of Rephaim. From the hilltop, the boundary headed towards the spring of the waters of Nephtoah, came out of the towns of Mount Ephron, and went down towards Beala, that is, Kiriath-Jearim. Then it curved westward, from Beala to Mount Seir, ran along the northern slope of Mount Jearim, that is, Kezalon, continued down to Beth Shemesh, and crossed to Timnah. It went to the northern slope of Ekron, turned towards Shikaron, passed along to Mount Beala, and reached Jabneel. The boundary ended at the sea. The western boundary is the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. These are the boundaries around the people of Judah by their clans. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is, Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. From there he marched against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kiriath Sifia, and Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sifia. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. One day, when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, What can I do for you? She replied, Do me a special favor. Since you have given me land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. This is the inheritance of the tribe of Judah, according to its clans. The southernmost towns of the tribe of Judah in the Negev towards the boundary of Edom were Kamziel, Eda, Jager, Kaina, Daimona, Adada, Kidesh, Hazor, Ithnan, Ziph, Telem, Bialoth, Hazor Hadata, Karayoth Hezron, that is Hazor, Ammon, Shema, Maleda, 
Hazagada, Hezmon, Bethpilet, Hazashual, Beersheba, Baisiothia, Baela, Lethem, Ezem, El Tolad, Kizel, Horma, Ziklag, Madmana, Sansana, Lebeoth, Shilhim, Ain, and Rimon. A total of twenty-nine towns and their villages. In the western foothills, Eshteol, Zora, Ashna, Zanoa, and Ganim, Tapua, Enam, Jamoth, Adalam, Soko, Asika, Shearaim, Adithaim, and Gedira, or Gedorathaim, fourteen towns and their villages. Zinan, Hadasha, Migdalgald, Dilian, Mizpah, Jokthil, Lakish, Bozkath, Eglon, Kabon, Lamas, Kitlish, Gidiroth, Benthdagan, Neama, and Makada, sixteen towns and their villages. Libna, Etha, Ashan, Iptha, Ashna, Nizib, Kiaila, Aksib, and Marisha, nine towns and their villages. Ekron, with its surrounding settlements and villages, west of Ekron, all that were in the vicinity of Ashdod, together with their villages, Ashdod, its surrounding settlements and villages, and Gaza, its settlements and villages as far as the Wadi of Egypt and the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. In the hill country, Shemi, Jata, Soka, Dana, Kiriath, Sana, that is, Dibia, Enab, Eshtemo, Ainim, Goshan, Holon, and Gilo, eleven towns and their villages, Arab, Duma, Ishan, Janim, Bethtapua, Afika, Hamta, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, and Zior, nine towns and their villages, Maon, Carmel, Ziph, Jatta, Jezreel, Yokdiam, Zanoe, Cain, Gibeah, and Timnah, ten towns and their villages, Halchul, Bethzur, Jidor, Merath, Bethanoth, and Eltakon, six towns and their villages, Kiriath Baal, that is Kiriath Jearim, and Rabbah, two towns and their villages. In the wilderness, Beth Araba, Midin, Sikika, Nibshan, the city of salt, and Engedi, six towns and their villages. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. Joshua chapter 16 the land allotted to Joseph began at the Jordan east of the springs of Jericho, and went up from there through the desert into the hill country of Bethel. It went on from Bethel, that is, Luz, crossed over to the territory of the Archites in Ataroth, descended westwards to the territory of the Japhletites as far as the region of Lower Beth-Horon, and on to Giza, ending at the Mediterranean Sea. So Manasseh and Ephraim, the descendants of Joseph, received their inheritance. This was the territory of Ephraim according to its clans. The boundary of their inheritance went from Ataroth Ada in the east to Upper Bethhoron and continued to the Mediterranean Sea. From Mikmathath on the north it curved eastward to Teanath Shiloh, passing by it to Genoa on the east. Then it went down from Genoa to Ataroth and Neara, touched Jericho and came out of the Jordan. From Tapua, the border went west to the Kea ravine, 
and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the Ephraimites, according to its clans. It also included all the towns and their villages that were set aside for the Ephraimites within the inheritance of the Manassites. They did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Giza. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to do forced labor. Jesus is the unique Savior. Joshua and Caleb were the only two of the original group to enter the Promised Land because they were the only ones who obeyed God and followed him wholeheartedly. Joshua's name means Yah saves, or the Lord saves. Joshua is the Hebrew form of Jesus. Joshua foreshadows Jesus. Joshua and Caleb were exceptional, but unlike Jesus, they were not unique. Hebron, a portion of land in Judah, was given to Caleb by Joshua. But he still had to go in and take it. Similarly, salvation, the greatest blessing of all, comes to us by grace as a gift. Yet we still have to receive it and take hold of it for ourselves. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's a gift given to us. All the way through the Bible, God is looking for your response. He's looking for you to seek God and to call on God. You have to take hold of the gift given to you and believe in Jesus. As you do, you are given the right to become a child of God. Jesus is the unique Savior. There's nothing more wonderful than taking hold of salvation through faith in him and becoming a friend of Jesus. Lord, today I want to seek you. Thank you that you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Help me to live a life that is full of grace and truth. I call on you for help in all the tasks I undertake and all the words that I speak. May I be full of grace and truth. Pippa adds, In Joshua 15, verse 16, it says, And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath-Sephar. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. This isn't necessarily the right criteria for marriage, but people have married for odder reasons. The chapter Ready for Marriage in the Marriage Book by Nikki Silla Lee is very helpful. But I don't think you'll find in there the requirement, Have you captured Kiriath Sephar? 